Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And tonight we're going to talk about the seventh episode of the second season of TNT's Snowpiercer. This one is called Our Answer for Everything. Do you think that that answer is fighting and and killing and and, uh, taking things out on the tail? (laughs) It it looks like that. (laughs) The alternate title that I made for this is Wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there were sure answers, but not answers that um, are going to benefit some people. (laughs) There were several compelling storylines in this episode that I could identify that continue to expand our our characters. Not Melanie. No Melanie talk this week. No Melanie. Yeah, we tanked up on on Melanie a week ago, and uh, I guess that's it. This shows us that, you know, we can make an inference now. Like, they probably, (laughs) that really, really was the train that left her behind. That can be the end. What do you mean? That implies that they didn't make it. Like, I'd be like, no, they can't just let Jennifer Connelly, A-list star, like, <laughs> die like that. I, I will not. Unless they're, they're playing a Game of Thrones, which, I mean, Sean Bean was in here and he got killed. So, uh, uh, what goes around comes around, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's your turn, Jennifer Connelly. All right. Let's start with Bess Till and the entire investigation into the Breachman murders. I was starting to get the sense that this is really getting to her, like on a PTSD type level in terms of like the fighting and the killing, or was it maybe just a continued depression or malaise or, or, or that sort of thing, but definitely an emotional disturbance. What did you guys think about that? It felt like all of that, like where, you know, we've talked about in the previous episodes that she's been dealing with a lot. And, you know, I was kind of questioning whether it was an act with the preacher, um, you know, to kind of, you know, get the investigation going and seeing like, you know, if he's somebody to be trusted. But then, you know, I know you you guys had spoken about like, no, I think this is real. And, and then I kind of was convinced also like, yeah, she probably is going through this PTSD and maybe it is also at the same time searching for answers. But this one, I felt like throughout the episode, there was that shift where I think in the beginning, when she's looking at the dead breachman, she is leaning in towards those feelings of like, man, this is just so much killing and death and all that. Um, I think you could see her, but then I think it shifted when the train started kind of riling up and I think her detective mode and it kind of snapped her back. I think till we know from like the first season or earlier before all the death. Mm. Um, and I think she kind of got a little bit angry where it's like, I need to know who's, th- who's doing this. And then when she found that it was the preacher, I think that really made her like, oh, okay, no, I'm back mofos, you know, <laughs> um, I feel that's the how anger I felt. cut through it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I felt that's, that's for me how I, I interpreted like her feelings um, at the beginning and then kind of throughout the episode towards like the end. Yeah. I mean, what a betrayal. She invested a lot of emotions and trust in being vulnerable, you know, with the preacher. And when we reminisced on those scenes, we kept commenting about how genuine it felt. And I still think he was genuinely helping her process through it all. But now I realize maybe part of that is grooming. This seems to be like a really kind of common, constant like tool (laughs) that these people like to use is this very um, subtle kind of grooming techniques and so we get to see that come into fruition but um you know Inez uh I've probably been on 
I don't know, 300 podcasts. Kat and I have done several. And we have never used grooming as much as we have (laughs) (laughs) in these podcasts. But it's, I mean, that doesn't mean it's not applicable. I'm just saying, wow, what a concentration. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And this episode was full of it. And I'm sure we'll get into it. Oh my God, Audrey, what? (laughs) Um, Uh, (laughs) No shit. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, no, this episode was full. This is a wild episode. Till legitimately feeling the pressure and the weight of the grave kind of situation she's in. Again, like if we remember the timeline that we're in, it's it's it hasn't been very long. I think you know this is happening over what um, like a month kind of time frame because that's how long Melanie's been gone, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. and she still hasn't solved the original finger slicing, and now we've got eight murders on her plate. Then I'm surprised, but like she didn't even get into Terrence, right? I was really curious to see how Andre was going to play out Terrence's death with Till. And so I'm kind of glad that we didn't touch on that because she's got a lot of fucking stuff on her plate right now. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it was crazy. It's pretty crazy when you're too busy to even discuss like the most gruesome murder that happened. <laughs> like no. that means it's like a lot more shit happening. Murder by foam. Yeah. That's- oh yeah. my god. Oh, it was so cringy. Ooh. What do you think about this timing? Like you mentioned, it took her a long time to to kind of get to the bottom of this, and now with the way that the episode ends up where there might have been an informal at least handover of power i mean andre may still need to i don't know act in some way but i think we're supposed to believe that the train would rather go with mr wilford and all the stuff that till finds out in this episode shows that there was this coordinated group in Snowpiercer also acting on that idea, but I don't know that that had much to do with, hmm, I guess, I guess it is all tied together. One kind of fed another in terms of like Breachman being blamed and, and all that. In my mind, that didn't foment in, in like a real, like solid kind of way, like the, just jumping to the tail, needing to kill the, the Breachman. Did it work for you? That was a little iffy on me. Like I was a little confused on that. Or it could just be one of those things. I mean, I don't want to get political, but you know, just seeing the way it's so easy to to uh, maybe just use an instance that maybe is not really justified in like what you are attacking them for, but you use that as like just the excuse to like justify your actions. And I feel like maybe that's what they were doing in this case. Like people didn't like the Tailies, you know, having I guess more of the rights now and they just wanted to use anything and they just found this opportunity to do that. I guess in TV terms, it does seem a little bit like too um, convenient maybe as a plot, but like, I think in, if you think mm. about it like that way, it does feel like it could be warranted and like justified. Kind of yeah. reminds you of like, I don't know, say someone starting a rumor that a certain immigrant group is mostly yeah. criminals and rapists. Yeah, uh, I mean, who would do that? But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's been done before. But yeah. that's just right. It's an example, <laughs> but it just spreads like wildfire amongst a certain minded person. Yes. 
I was surprised to kind of see how ingrained the biases or like the whatever the racism equivalency is, the hatred to the tailies. Classism, um, I think. But classism. Yeah. 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 I, I was surprised to see how fierce and instantaneous everything just turned as soon as like something went wrong, it's the tailies and we're just going to go attack the tailies now. And it's their fault. And that was and, third. It was mostly third. That was yeah. Doing that. Yeah. And, and I was very surprised to see that. Cause maybe I just naively thought like, okay, we're like, you know, like they're the ones who helped. Right. And they, they even talk yeah. about that right. and address it. So it was just very surprising to me, but maybe it's just kind of a way to remind us like how that does happen. You know, we, we experience this, um, you know, I try a lot to stay away from politics in here because I tend to be very li- liberal left uh, on this stuff. So I'm going to try to be very gentle and respectful up here, but the Trumpenites and just kind of like the escalation of a lot of like the fake news or, you know, how our leadership in the last four years has focused us on, like you said, Paul, kind of like isolating specific group of people, even like though we don't have like the evidence to say so. But I did kind of take note of kind of what the third class group was saying, like, why don't you just pin it on the tailies like you're used to do? Like, let's just kind of let's knock it out, give it to them, you know, just to them. It's like whatever. And to us and the tailies like, hey, we're just humans trying to live here. And it's sad that we needed to have a reminder of that. Well, it was LJ that voiced that specific I th- thing. And that is also I mean, you could probably draw some political type dotted lines, given that she's formerly first class trying to get back up there, maybe thinks of herself in that socioeconomic class in her mind still, even though she's a janitor in third, like that, that sort of mentality. I think you, you could, if you wanted, make some inferences from that also. Oh yeah. I I wrote down that LJ is sus to me. Um, I I think uh, she likes to kind of play stuff off. She's really good at manipulating people and passing information and kind of being sneaky. And now she's a janitor and janitors get free reign across the train. So they get secret accesses or special accesses or, you know, restricted accesses. Yeah. So who's to say that she isn't involved at this point? I'm still not sold on her picking a side. I think she just picks the most entertainment fun side of like the crazy like, the so most true. psychotic way you know like like she's like oh finally i get some entertainment again i get to you know maybe hit people over the head and maybe kill someone again like i think that's like where she's going with but wilford obviously is a good side to be on if she wants to continue her craziness she definitely has some of that like wilford sickness um yes. you know when she's like looking down at them from her little perch just kind of giggling at their fighting Ugh. yeah I finally placed the woman in first class who we suspected just because the camera lingered on her for a second a couple of weeks ago that she was involved in all this. Her name is Amanda Bruegel. And from Handmaid's Tale. Yes, she is the Martha from Handmaid's Tale. And she is also the pastor in Kim's Convenience. Have either of you ever watched Kim's Convenience? Oh, I haven't. I have not. It is, is a, a show or a movie? It is a sitcom from Canada. They make it in Toronto, where they also make The Handmaid's Tale, and I would assume they, where they make Snowpiercer also. But in both of those roles, she's never very made up. You know, she's, a, I mean, I think makeup's probably not allowed for Martha's. 
and pastors are not also well known for being very made up either. So it took me a second <laughs> to place her, but yeah, that's her. And I would encourage you to watch Kim's Convenience. It we, Caroline and I uh, blew through all four and five, four or five seasons. I can't remember how many, but it, it's a, it's a it's about a, a family of first generation uh, Korean Canadians, basically, and the store that they own. And uh, so I can't relate on that level, but just the kind of the family dynamics and just just good old fashioned good writing is. Uh, it's it's worth a watch. Just give it give it two episodes. The first one may not snag you, but but the second one probably will. I'll definitely check it out. My husband was the one who pointed that out, and I was like, "What?" And I had to go back to see. I was like, "Oh my god, there she is!" And the same thing because I'm not used to seeing her so glamorous and made up. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. But that's her. I just uh, while you were getting on the line, Inez, I, I went to a uh, website to make sure that I was getting her name right because she is from quebec so i didn't want to you know brutalize a french name but the person introducing her also said brugal so there we go it's always one of those things too like it's a tv thing that never goes away like when you see someone like i knew she was from handmaid's tale so she has some you know she's not just a extra she's like a guest star mm-hmm. and i was like "Ooh, you're gonna be somebody you know like and then she came up and she was on the villainous side so i was like yep <laughs> It was like a cue. If if you know her, who she is, if you don't, then you know maybe you you wouldn't know. Like you would you you should suspect her. <laughs> exactly. She is a verified person on Twitter, so she's got <laughs> at least that much notoriety. Yeah. Uh, I was um, curious because I was already sus of LJ. Mm-hmm. I was kind of also curious about Osweiler. Like uh, it just feels so weird and odd for me for him to be so like helpful. Like, does that feel weird to you guys, or is it just me? I mean, we know that he's sus, <laughs> to borrow a word, because of past actions, but he might be playing any angle he can to try to gain some status again, you know? If he can find his way back into Till and maybe even Roche's good graces, maybe he can get that that standing as a brakeman back who knows? Or maybe he and the LJ have some master plan and and he needs to do that for some nefarious purpose. I I, I don't know, yeah, but yeah. that's my that's my going theory. It's not just I don't know that he's earned the idea of just helpfulness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also him and like we it, we have to assume that this was seven years, right? Of of them, maybe or I don't know if he they were together for all those years, um, like him and Till. But I feel like he must have had some sort of leaning towards her. You know, like maybe they weren't the best of friends, but you know they were in it together, and maybe that counts towards something. Um, um, outside of him just being, you know, Osweiler. So, well, they had a couple of humanizing I, I, moments. Yeah, I think it's helpfulness just with Till, not like maybe as like him, you know, with everybody. That's fair. Yeah. 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 That's that's totally fair. I forget about that. That this is like they're in their eighth year, <laughs> starting yeah. their eighth revolution or something. Um, it, or yeah, eighth year into felt, this. Yeah. Yeah, and it must have felt good for him to kind of have that, like, because now he's in the dumps as you know with LJ and like outsider now. So and doesn't have his standing anymore. So I think maybe it felt good to kind of go back to feeling, you know, like he like it was before with with Till. Like talk to a sane person. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He's not getting much enrichment out of his (laughs) partnership with LJ. (laughs) LJ's, you know, she's a professional like button pusher. She says things to produce a reaction, 
that's not a fun person to hang out with all the time, you know? But speaking of buttons, I mean, that was still a really big help that Osweiler gave to Till um, following the trail of where that button originated from and give us to this like Russian lady on the train. Katya. Yes, Katya. That was that was a that was a really interesting scene because I think she might have more information to come. The way that she has that little store, she says that she was Wilford's like surrogate aunt or something when he was growing up or whatever she said. I mean, there's that is a a, a resource to tap in the future here. There's she knows more. Yeah, she's just there with like her cigarette, which, you know, and I'm like curious also, though, like, do you think that was weed or is that a cigarette or a hand? Because I'm like, where do they get any tobacco? Like, well, she's I- very chill. So I don't know. Right, she's got glaucoma, right? <laughs> right. She was really chill watching them just like rummage through all her shit. Yeah. Well, then we wind up with Till and, and Logan at the end there. I was surprised that uh, Logan seemed to be borrowing a little bit from the Catholic faith here and there for his brand of of religion. Seemed to be giving the like the last rites to the breachmen. I don't know of um, other faiths that do that, but Catholics pretty famously do. And also the St. Christopher's Medal. I, I don't know that if other faiths observe any kind of, I don't know, ritual with the with that, but Catholics definitely do. Uh, so I, it's just, I don't really have a, a comment on that, but other than just, I was surprised to notice those links because of all the faiths that, that I think that they would funnel into the, the train, I wouldn't, I wasn't sure that that'd be one. I still can't tell whether the preacher, you know, if he's dealing in loyalty of Wilford, why even do the religion part of it? You know what I mean? Because I feel like Wilford is not in that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess maybe that's what he took on um, (laughs) since they thought that Wilford wasn't on the train, right? Or actually, they didn't think he was on the train. So I don't know. It seems very odd thing maybe it's just because you get to ride like under the radar you know and it's a very kind of like nobody's gonna really bug you about you know what's your conversation with so-and-so in private like Mm -hmm. if your whole thing is about being religious and there's a lot of like that discretion and um respecting privacy and stuff like that so probably why he was able to to stay under a little bit yeah and also like start the culty thing of of wolford too if we saw a piece of what he was doing with till is what i'm assuming he probably did with a lot more people in the seven years like yeah that's not good for andre and co (laughs) he could have been a hand-picked placement by wilford specifically for sowing continual seeds of loyalty within whatever i assume he's in the third class car but maybe i don't know maybe second you know what i mean like he may not actually have uh quote unquote credentials <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. yeah as a holy man he was all over the place right <laughs> <laughs> right mm-hmm. a little of this a little of that some tea right i mean somebody no, had to spread you know, somebody had to spread like a culture of promoting these red candle vigil things for Wilford in his honor to keep memory alive. And a way to do that is touching into people's faith. And exactly. Catholicism is a, a huge religion. It's a huge population of people. So I guess it would make sense that that one would be one of the ones that's exhibited there. I don't really know religion a whole lot, though, so... Yeah, me either. We've it's been not, growing up Catholic, but not very lapsed. <laughs> right. We watched uh, we watched a few minutes of a comedian the other night. I can't remember what his name was, but uh, 
you know, how they start. Sometimes they'll start with a little bit of their backstory. And he said something like, so I grew up Catholic and, and people made some noises out in the audience. And he said, anyone out there still doing that? As <laughs> 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 oh. a very relatable comment. Yes. <laughs> Anyhow, so fight ensues and I don't think he's dead. I think he's uh, very, very hurt. Is, is that what you guys got? With the uh, self-freezing. Oh my god, what a way to go. Um, that was such an interesting choice to I go. I thought a gun would be in that bag thing. I did too. I even paused it and asked my husband. I was like, what do you think it is? Is it, you think it's a gun? I didn't know it was going to be a fucking like, bag with a pipe. Like, <laughs> right. like they just like seemed like such a lame thing to be wrapped up in such a like sacred box. Like, it's like what's, a dry cleaning what's, bag what's, with a hose. <laughs> right. right. I, can, I can see a gun because that's not allowed. Yeah, right. It's so crazy though that that was, if it was so sacred, like that he must have anticipated that, like being maybe um, like sacrificing himself for, for whatever he believes in, I guess, which is Wolford and maybe, and that's also a sign, like you were saying, um, Inez, that, you know, the confidence and discretion, like, what does he know? Cause usually people do that, like as a soldier or whatever, for the other side, not to take them in and question them because they know too much. So I don't know if he was doing it for, you know, for the moral reasons or whatever he believes in, or more so that he didn't want to get tortured and give it all up, you know? give up everything he knows but i hope he's not dead because you know that could prove um, maybe vital for andre especially since there's like the putty and stuff that they can put on his face maybe to keep him alive but then that yeah. would have to give him back to wilford so maybe that was also a, a ploy um but how would he know about that so i don't know if that's too far-fetched but yeah i thought about that too it was like well it, you know if he if, if he's alive is it pretty much his only bet to live is to go back to big Alice. And was that intentional or not? I don't know. Um, no, I think that I bag was his was. exit strategy. Right. Maybe that's why it was wrapped up in such a way. Like he had to make peace with his like mm -hmm. God. Cause see, I feel like he is like legitimately like religious in some way. So maybe that it had, to, even though it's just a bag with a pipe, you know that he to him it meant something bigger because like it takes some fucking balls to you know decide to make that decision you know of, of the end and that's that's definitely a, not a decision i think anybody takes lightly good or bad and so i guess that could explain it but i it was kind of weird <laughs> to me but Let's hope that he's alive, um, because as you just mentioned, Andre might be able to use something he can say or tell him. I don't know that he can get it, but who knows? But Andre, if he's got a play to make, it's got to be now. Yeah. He does not have much time. Does it feel like, and I, I'm going to use the Game of Thrones reference because it's just so easy and also it's a double whammy with Sean Bean, but does it feel sort of like when the Starks were down and out and like Andre is now the Starks and like feels like a very, like when those those first few seasons that were rough for the start and like, I'm like, oh, yeah. oh no, like, because he, it, it seems like he's just like, I don't know, like a chicken with his head cut off right now. And it's like, he, there's, I don't see a way for him to come out of it. Like, I don't know. It, it just feels like it's going in a bad way and it's just gone bad so fast. Don't you think for Andre, like, how is he going to get out of this? Do you think he will at all? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think he's the show's protagonist. So yeah. <laughs> yes. And I see what you're saying. This He's like the, the Jon Snow in yes. season five. Uh, let's talk about Andre, because there were a few things that happened in this episode. He wasn't in a lot of it, if you think about it. But there were a few things that I think 
basically everything he did weakened him in this episode. There was uh, Miss Audrey and her perceived defection, which we'll cover soon. (laughs) (laughs) And and then uh, that announcement that he made where Ruth pretty correctly surmised that he was forcing the train to choose sides as opposed to coming around and seeing it his way. But then the big one, I think, is toward the end there. And you guys tell me if you think I'm onto something or if you read it another way. But when he volunteered to be de-armed in place of Pike and Ruth spoke up and save him, that was a great character moment for Ruth, which we can cover in a minute. But from a leadership standpoint, I thought the whole thing weakened Andre, like the volunteering part. I don't think that that served what he wanted to do. I mean, I don't want to say violence is ever the solution, but he might have done better coming in there and kicking all those guys' asses somehow rather than doing what he did. What do you guys think? I don't think Melanie ever did that. And she was seven years into her reign. And what is Andre? I don't know what the timeline is, but it doesn't even seem like it's been six months. So um, I don't think as a le- that's not the time to show weakness. Like you show, you know, from, from what we've seen on screen where you become heroic is when you sacrifice for your people, not get sacrificed yourself by the people, you know, um, that ah, never good, ends well. Yeah, yeah. That never ends well for anybody. And, and then if someone has to force like, like Ruth, yes, great character moment for her. Cause she had her whole arc in this episode, which I guess we'll talk about. But if someone has to tell you why you should care about your leader, I don't think that's good for Andre. <laughs> I think his face um, mm-hmm. definitely recognized that, you know, when she, Ruth came and saved his ass. But yeah, I my notes here was like reckless or brave. And, you know, I just kind of kept pondering, like, why would he do that? Like, did he really believe that the show of this would like put him in their good graces or... Did he do this because he felt really guilty after his conversation with Pike and Pike was the target here? And did he do it because he didn't want Pike to like talk about what he made him do? I think he just hasn't learned the leadership balance. Like, I think he's still in the Talia mentality and, and thinking he can be like one of the bros with them or one of the people. And then he doesn't like, I think Melanie knew that balance very well. Like she needed to keep herself separate to have that kind of mystery and also be like, you know, a strong when he needed to be and like lay down the law. Like when Ruth, like, you know, she had Ruth doling out those orders, like with the, the like what she did in, with the Talia section. But like, and then I think Andre like wavers, he hasn't found his footing. And unfortunately, like, who knows if he'll be able to he hasn't figured out the leadership role yet i think yeah the good that's a really good point um cat you know just as you're talking it made me realize and remember that ruth and melanie are incredibly in tune with what the train culture is like in the different classes of the train and the tailies only really know what's going on with the tailies and then a little bit about the disdain that people have for them. Um, And so he doesn't have that knowledge. And again, he's making a mistake of not stopping to listen to his advisors. Like, what's the point of putting together an advisory cabinet at the start of all this if you're not going to even utilize them? 
Right. The other element that, that I thought weakened him was, it wasn't that he was saved by another person. It was that he was saved by Ruth, especially, who represents the old guard, the establishment in first class and sort of way, an oppressor. She's just part of his gang, really. Yeah. If it had been by like a Josie, that would have meant more. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Given the way that it ends with the red lights and all that kind of stuff, the train in their own way showing a solidarity, an overwhelming solidarity with Wilford, unless some of those people just accidentally turned on their <laughs> red lights somehow. Like just uh, reading light. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice, easy way to read stuff with the red light. Um, but if he has any power left, he does not have much time left to wield it. And that may really inform whether or not the train rocketing by Melanie last week was a hallucination. I know some, I had asked on Facebook whether people thought it was a hallucination or the real deal. And so far, people answering me, it's about every two out of three is hopes. It's a hallucination, but some people are saying, no, it's the real deal, but they're citing those moments where someone somewhere tried to fire the brakes because you saw the flames coming out of the side of the wheels, but it just wasn't enough. So what they're guessing is that someone, maybe the Snowpiercer, tried to fire the brakes, but whoever's in charge of Big Alice, which wasn't Alex, she was just in the engine. She wasn't driving the engine, pushed and kept going because it's a stronger engine and could. So maybe all of this informs the state of the train next episode. Oh, wow. That's such a good um, catch from, I didn't even know um, in that last scene, there was like the sparks from the brakes. Oof. And all that stuff you said makes sense. Like, I hope that's not true. <laughs> I'm one of those on the hope it's not true. I hope it's not <laughs> But uh, the way it's going for Andre in this episode, oh, it's not looking good, guys. Yeah, I think after this episode, it made me lean more that that was the real train passing by Melanie. I didn't catch that break thing. I'm going to have to go back and watch it um, just to kind of experience it again. But I missed it the first time. But yeah, that, knowing that, that's that's interesting. But I feel like yet that detail validates my new inference here <laughs> that she's got left behind. And now we just have to see what kind of sciencey thing that they're going to do to explain this away. Well, I liked Kat's idea last week that someone still loyal is going to toss some shit out the side of the train <laughs> that she can use. Um, I don't know what, but yeah, something she can use. Anyhow, so yeah, I, I don't, we're, what, we got uh, three more episodes to go, so it makes sense that he's in a very dark place, but these kind of shows... You know, they don't always have to end a season on a high note uh, in terms of in terms of these kinds of things. We might end the season with Leighton incarcerated or on the run or some kind of fugitive within the train or off the train or, or something. I don't I, I don't know. But but I could see that happening because because three episodes isn't a lot to regain the ground that he's lost. Oh, yeah. You know, I was a little nervous for this episode because I thought, you know, last week's episode was so different and so amazing. It was so fucking cool. Quite and I I loved that episode. And I was like, oh, man, that's going to suck. Like if this next one doesn't build on that <laughs> momentum. But oh, my God, this was a fucking ride. 
it was a chaotic <laughs> episode for me, but it had it had a lot. Like I feel like we still have so much to talk about. We do. Do you guys have any closing comments on Leighton and what what he's gone through in this episode? I think it just solidified um, Zara. Like also was just very annoying in this episode. <laughs> 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 oh, and it's so funny there was a point where she was like yeah Andre had to do it and then Ruth looks at her like what like <laughs> yeah I know I was just like uh Zara shut the fuck up like yeah. <laughs> I know I'm so mean I'm so mean to Zara but you know what when we get to Ruth I'm gonna have I, I owe Zara a little bit of apology so when we get to there <laughs> I'll, I'll bring us up then well we can do Ruth right now because uh, we're going to cover the big Alice hijinks last. We're going to stick on Snowpiercer now and let's talk about Ruth. Cause that, I mean, Jesus, she's had a lot to face, you know, she's held up the mirror a couple of episodes in a row here. I mean, in terms of ones that took place on Snowpiercer that have been hard for her to reconcile her actions or her former beliefs with how she wants to be now. I really thought it was powerful that they brought the flashbacks in from season one to reminisce on that because I totally have strayed and I've been on the Ruth train. You know, I've been like pro Ruth this whole season, just really surprised and proud of her growth. But this was a good, humble reminder. Certainly, she had to check herself big time in this episode. And I think if we want to bring back the loyalty meter on Ruth, I would say she's 100% Snowpiercer and Andre. I really like her arc in this season and how it feels. It felt it has felt very organic. Like she's gone through, you know, feeling very betrayed, kind of questioning, like, where do I stand? Will I be with Wilford? You know, but then no, like ultimately she is a good person and she believes in Snowpiercer and she even, I think is coming to finally understand, I think in this episode, I feel like was the one that made her feel like, Oh yeah, Melanie. I think I, I, she finally understands why she probably did it, you know, and it's kind of okay. I don't know if okay with it, but like the guilt she felt and everything, like, I don't know. It was, such uh, a she understands. Episode. Yeah. She just understands she's rightfully to feel betrayed, but I think she's not angry at Melanie anymore. And she kind of like, I think she's seen what Wilford's capable of and like the unrest that would have happened if she, you know, he would have been on board. I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I loved her arc in this and in this season. She's one of the, like, one of my favorite characters. She just keeps getting like more layers to her. Like we learned about her mom in this one and what she's been through. And I don't know, they've been doing it so well with her, like peeling back those layers. As an adult person that has a, has a good normal amount of self-esteem facing a child that is scared of you in the way that Winnie was and not remembering why. And then all of a sudden remembering why, I don't know how you couldn't deal with that right then. You know, you might need to go crawl in a corner later (laughs) and feel shitty about what you've done. But that was pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it totally was. And, you know, I had some feelings in between her kind of having the realization that this girl is afraid of her, like deathly afraid of her, literally. And then before we see her do her apology, I was just kind of processing in there like, wow, you know, I've been very critical of Zara. I still fucking hate Zara. Like, make no mistake. That's legit. But- yeah. 
<laughs> but I was like, you know, I've been very critical of Zara for the ruthless things that I've been watching her do, but Ruth has been ruthless herself in like a very severe way. And then I'm a mother to a young girl and, you know, like all of that was very hard to imagine what um, that little girl was going through. But uh, one thing that still keeps me on the pro-Ruth in all of this is that unlike Zara, she did hold herself accountable. And then she made very intentional choices after that epiphany, an epiphany that not very many people get an opportunity to process through. And so she gets this epiphany and she takes accountability for it. And then she fucking saves Andre's life. I thought this is, you know, Ruth can emerge as a leader potentially in all of this. She's already a leader, but I feel like she has such a commanding presence with these groups. She was able to just yell her way for them to stop almost like taking off somebody's arm. Like that's fucking powerful. Well, okay. I've got a, a touchy question then that you may not like, Inez. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times when a character has gone through this kind of change where they, you know, they start with a problem, they figure out their problem, they try to reconcile the problem, they seem to make progress, they complete some amount of arc, maybe even a whole character arc or two, like Ruth has, they can, like you just mentioned, transcend and move on to another stage of development, like maybe, for all I know, she needs to be in charge of the train, not Andre. Or another popular option in darker television shows is that she all of a sudden becomes expendable. What do you think? Does Ruth make it out of the season or, you know, since she's had these epiphanies now, is she vulnerable? In my notes, I put Ruth's probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's the shorter version of what I just said. <laughs> I know all the setup and how they were like doing all this. I was like, fuck man, Ruth is going to fucking get killed. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you reminded me, Paul, that that does happen. And now I'm like, sad. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, she's on the chopping block now. <laughs> oh, hopefully. We'll find she- out in three episodes, right? Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> well, it'd be even, I mean, that's what makes drama is yeah. that she's had these breakthroughs. She's ready to be her best self. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To- borrow a current phrase uh, <laughs> to live her truth or whatever whatever they say and uh, that's the perfect timing for her to you know uh take an axe in the back or whatever however they've been killing people on snowpiercer yeah yeah because if she had died episode one eh, you know like oh that sucks but if she dies in the next three episodes it'd be like oh no you know like it will hit home and i might shed a tear so yeah <laughs> you know if she does go i'm gonna go ahead and just blame it on zara <laughs> uh, <laughs> zara giving because she's the one that ha- that uh it's going against the conflict of whatever zara's consultation is to andre i feel like it wouldn't be past zara to also suggest when some people are you know other expendable people she's mm-hmm. thought terrence was expendable and he and he followed suit so who's to say we haven't seen a whole lot of hospitality and I don't, even though Tristan has the tenure, I, I don't know that he would move up a notch uh, <laughs> if if Ruth were to go missing, whereas uh, Zara might. 
talk about expendable, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought he was going to get, like, his head bashed in in the hallway just talking to them through the window or something. Like, I was like, why are you just casually through there? If, like, they're, like, intentionally keeping people out. And you're just standing there in the hallway, like, waiting to get killed. Come on, Tristan. Yeah, it's a controlled riot, I suppose. Um, <laughs> looking for Taylor's, even though uh, Ruth and Zara took refuge because they, they were justifiably freaked out. I, if I was them uh, and I saw a mob approaching, I'd, I would probably also duck into a locked room. Oh, yeah, 100%. You would not see me. I'm not going to be the brave person trying to fight for justice on the front line. I'm going to let other people take care of it, and I'm just going to survive. I already told my husband, if we ever go into like some kind of like zombie apocalypse, just let me die. Just let me go. I don't want to deal with the stress of all of that. <laughs> you go survive and live your best life in that dystopian existence, but I'm gone. <laughs> let him go. Rick Grimes it, huh? <laughs> yeah, he he and Anya are are survivors like that. I'm I'm not interested in that kind of stress. Well, that leaves the shenanigans back on Big Alice, Oof. where oh Mister Wilford has his own loyalty meter that he's been using <laughs> on yes. the on the women in his life. I do not want that. I don't want to be tested in that way. <laughs> he hooks that one up to your nipples. I think it's a, it's a oh. bad deal. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God! There's a lot to unpack here. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, Jesus! I, I should have known because it was weird when we first meet Miss Audrey and she's in the bath. But I should have known that that was foreshadowing that there'd be more bath talk to come. I did not foresee that Kevin would be a raving, living loon. Oh, man. <laughs> right? You know, it's funny. Before we saw Kevin, I just kind of had this really random thought. And I wrote down, how did they dispose of Kevin's body? Did they eat him or did they throw him off the train? And I like pause it to just think about that for a little bit. And then I press play. And then lo and oh. behold. <laughs> wow. So crazy time. Like, what a thought. <laughs> and then payoff <laughs> to that question. You found an answer. <laughs> I got the answer. He's just in a yeah. freaking, he's just tied up in a chair. That's all. Wow. So the, the couple, couple questions come to mind with this whole sequence with Audrey, Kevin, and Mr. Wilford. One more Kevin-centric, and then we'll cover the bigger one that's more Audrey-centric. But the steps that she takes to quote-unquote fix him while he's raving like that, she's still wearing like the same clothes when she goes in, when she comes out, I think. And so that kind of implies, like, I don't know, she probably wasn't in there, like, a week, I don't think. That kind of implies that Kevin was kind of halfway there already, and the, you know, the bathtub scenario had broken his mind somewhat, and, you know, like he said, fix him. It was, it was like, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to say that he had been in that state, that adoration, that groomed state previously to a level that I don't think I expected. I mean, we've just, we've discussed the weirdness of the bathtub. <laughs> and, and now we know why. <laughs> and, and, and the willingness to cut one's own wrist in the bathtub and all that kind of stuff. But I guess I didn't absorb all that completely in terms of that an afternoon of reconditioning would not only get him to that level again, but it looks like he's probably in deeper now. He, I mean, he seems almost mindless. Wilford's brand of loyalty is unlike anything I've ever seen. Like it, it's like, uh, it's like risky in a way, but then also like bold, like, you know, like the fact that he's 
gets them to show how, like, you know, he tells them what to do, basically kill themselves or at least prove that they would do it. And then like on the brink, he saves them and then says like, look, I saved you. And like, what a manipulation of trying to control someone. And then of course, if, if they save you, like what everything that uh, Miss Audrey was telling Kevin about, like you do get, I guess, a loyal lapdog for life, right? And so it just also shows how Miss Audrey had to break free from that when she was on Snowpiercer, but then did she really, or is she playing a game? Because if she went through what Kevin went through, and then it seems like she kind of just fell right back into what she's been doing, like how many more people did she do this to? Because it seems like that's why Wilford also wanted her back because she's good at that, you know? So I don't know. It just felt all icky. (laughs) Very icky. And Paul, just to kind of address like the timing, I guess I wasn't surprised about like that. It looked like it was done within the same day, just because we saw in that short time frame how she had Wilford eating out of her lap, right? Like this powerful man that's like, wants everybody to look at him. And then all of a sudden he's like, just looks like manic and, weird and uh yeah so it was uh we've seen her be able to do major emotional shifts in such a small amount of time so i guess i'm not surprised from that standpoint that's fair that's fair so i guess that leaves like the bigger question with audrey is is she compromised they're having to assume that she is because she stayed and in order to protect themselves back on snowpiercer they just have to assume that the mission will be a failure and that, and then that's, you know, that's it. It's too dangerous to assume otherwise. So she has to destroy Kevin in order to um, prove, herself. yeah, well, to prove her loyalty. And she's willing to do that. Does that mean that she's still on mission and just that hardcore? Or is she compromised? What do you guys think? I think a little bit of both, to be honest, because I feel like when you get back into a situation that is very traumatic and hard and all that like you have to be at a very like like I don't know have gone through the healing process and maybe Miss Audrey did do that with what she was trying to do with healing people on Snowpiercer or having escapes with you know letting them escape and all that especially Wilford like he would probably bring like a lot of memories and like who knows if she is completely healed and then given the situation like I don't know. It could be survival, but if you play it long enough, do you kind of fall back into it? So I don't know. I'm kind of split. I feel like she's maybe 85% still Snowpiercer on the mission has to do this sort of thing. But what if she falls back into, you know, um, I feel like 15% is maybe like her, like enjoying it or falling back into the cycle, the the horrible cycle, you know? So sort of uh, the danger of faking it till you make it. Yeah. You might you might accidentally make it. Yeah, <laughs> you might. Case. Yeah, <laughs> and then you might not be able to come back. She she broke free. We would assume like the one time because literally he wasn't there. It wasn't by choice. It's like he wasn't on the train. He would have been on the train, and she was going to live that life with him in the night car. So she didn't technically make the decision to break free and leave on her own. It was sort of like, well, he's not on the train anymore. So she needs to make that decision again, and it be her choice, not just because of he wasn't on the train i was going to answer like i'm gonna have faith and say that she is completely still in control of herself and this is just her way of proving loyalty to kind of get through it but after listening 
to you both, you know, and then also kind of knowing a, a little bit about like domestic violence and how that impacts the victims in here and in that when they're not safe, you know, there's there's a lot that they can't control and they do what they need to do to survive, even if it's it deviates from like their progress that they've been making. So I could definitely see how it's like I'm still in it for the mission, but I am vulnerable. I'm very vulnerable. So I'm going to still keep my fingers crossed that she's just fucking being hardcore and trying to just really make it through this. Cause I would hate to, I don't know. I think my feelings would be hurt for all of her growth and progress. I think I would be feeling a lot more of that pain because her episode and revealing all that, like I, it was, it remember it like, it like pulled my heartstrings so much, like no fucking wonder. Right. We were like, why is we had this whole mystery around what is it? that he did to her that's so bad when they revealed it we were all like really super shocked about it and I would hate for that whole episode's goal of kind of showing like her major change and how she's like don't worry this is a good thing and it's going to be great I would really hate to see them just slash all of that progress that she'd been making but just from my own (laughs) just from my own like you know heartstring kind of way but you know, what I'm really kind of curious that I could not get out of my head was the scene of Kevin licking that shoe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I need to know how they presented that to the actor and, like, how many actors did they had to go through before they're like, would you like to cut your, you know, slit your wrists naked in a tub with Sean Bean and then also later on, like, lick Sean Bean's shoes? Like, how do you, like, right. <laughs> like, we have a role of a lifetime for you. Right. What's next? Eat his shit. Right. Yeah. Hopefully it tastes like gobstoppers or something. You know. <laughs> right. right. They've smeared it with jelly or, or, or something. Oh, geez. Yeah. Maybe that actor's really uh, like a method kind of guy and really digs into <laughs> to his roles, like a Jared I, Leto sort. How awkward must that feel like for Sean Bean to be like? I don't know. It just it must be weird. Like you have to get into the character, obviously, but also just like doing it as like an actor. Like I don't know. That's like very yeah. odd. You know, it wouldn't be the most enthralling question to ask him ever. No, but I I think I'd still want to know. Whose idea was it to pull up the pant leg a little bit? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, the shoe was, was right there. It wasn't like it was uh, covered up. It, was it just to see the licking? I think it just to add to the cringe of all of it. Like, I'm doing you a favor by letting you lick my shoe. I just feel like, you know, Wilfred wasn't very present in this episode, but it was just oozing Wilford all the way through. And it just was so cringy. Like I, I just kept feeling like no matter how bad I feel like Wilford is, he keeps getting worse <laughs> every episode. <laughs> oh my God. And he didn't even have to do much in this one. So I think that was just like a little detail just to kind of emphasize like the kind of abuse of power and control that he has over people. I yeah. would like to see more about how he earns the power. He gets by on reputation and who he is to these people at this point, and that's fine. But to contrast him with with Ned Stark, for instance, Ned showed us why people loved him, why the North was willing to go to war to get him back. 
He led by example. He was reserved. He he was just someone that inspired confidence and, and loyalty just through a few actions. We didn't get to see him all that much, but what we saw was honorable and someone that you wanted to, to see more of. Every scene with Mr. Wilford, we see an asshole just soaking in adoration but i would like to see some scenes where i don't know something shows us what it is that makes him magnetic on its own merits rather than just the power yeah well it's interesting that the people on big alice all seem like he comes in and he you know it's like that thing when someone scares you and you're like "Ah," you know and then it's like they all feel like they have that face like all the time on on alice you know like they're they're just like so tense and then there's the snowpiercer where on snowpiercer everyone's like yeah i want wolf it's like yeah but there's the people like we can see as an audience like the folks on big alice i mean they're not having a good time you know so i think it's not adoration that they feel it's just like survival sort of thing right like they can't say anything else because they have to like force love it's like when you have to force someone to love you right it never goes well <laughs> like who's going to be happy right having to do that and i think snowpiercer they don't know what they're missing because they have an idea of wilford but they haven't felt his reign like his true reign because it was melanie's reign while she did do very sus things like i, I like that um she um I think she did have a part of herself like she wasn't completely cruel you know and um like full-on like wilford what what is clearly so um i think they are skewing the version of what wilford is like the idea of who he is because it was melanie being wilford they'll be in for a rude awakening is what i'll say and wilford doesn't shy away from being as manipulative as as possibly as he possibly can he is extremely narcissistic like we said earlier in the season, everything, everything is monogrammed with his W, even the fucking teacup. Um, the and buttons. The, the buttons, jacket, right. the teacup. Oh my God. Yeah. Like everything is just Wilford, Wilford, Wilford. And then he like says stuff in such an aggressive, disgusting manner. But like if you're subjected to his abuse daily, like you get knocked down all the time. Like he's, you know, when he just tells Audrey, like, just fix him. And then he, like, leaves. He's like, just fix him. Like, Kevin is just a broken little machine or whatever, like, that he didn't fucking do it himself, right? And he's just like, just fix him, Audrey. And then he, like, leaves. And then when he's talking to Alex, he says, every day you breathe is the day I gave you. He's just probably the same kind of message that he's been giving everybody since, like, when they were building the train and and doing things like i'm going to be here to save the day i'm the one that's coming up with this idea to save the end of the world and you are all invited to join me as long as you have your loyalty to me so yeah. it's hard to argue with that if you're like well i i didn't fucking build the train so i guess he's right like i do owe him that much as long as you stay in your place everything will be fine mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, i'm right well, guys, prediction-wise, I think Andre loses the train next week for real. Whatever formal process there is for the you know revolutionary interim president to lose the, the train, I think that's what's going to happen next week. What do you guys think is going to happen? I'm curious to see how Icy Bob's going to play. Cause I didn't, Ooh, did yes. you hear Wilford say that? Like, get yeah, Icy prep, Bob ready? Uh, yeah, prep yeah. Icy Bob? Icy yeah. Bob. Some people think that they're going to send him off to kill Melanie. Uh, others think that he's he's part of, of the complete train takeover. I'm more prone to think that because he can't stay outside indefinitely. 
He can just stay outside for like an hour. Yeah, it's not looking good for Snowpiercer and Andre's reign. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I think you're right, Paul. I think he's going to lose it next week. I just don't see how he comes back from that. There was a lot of red lanterns <laughs> and it's really hard. Like they don't have a, besides the little speaker system, like you can't really speak to the people or, you know, like how there is with social media, like, you know, get your message across. So I don't see a comeback. And it may even be, as we saw with Roche and his, his cute little family, um, it may even be Roche that has to do whatever's going to happen with him, you know, um, take him in or, or whatever. Because um, at the end of the day, I think most people are thinking they just want a safe place to live. Uh, <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's not what has happened with Andre. They're, I mean, they haven't really given him much time to sort out what to do with the tail and integrating them into the rest of the train, given that Mr. Wilford showed up like that day. You know, it hasn't been a, a fair assessment of his leadership skills, but they're still blaming him, which is all that really matters. As far as this rest of the season, I would like to see us get Melanie back because I love Jennifer Connelly's character and I love Jennifer Connelly's portrayal of the character like in this show so much, especially after last the last episode. But I also would totally not hate if it ends with Wilford doing a takeover and then we get to see a season or a, a few episodes at least of what life is going to be like with Wilford uh, at the head. Ooh, yeah. That's just for curiosity's I mean, sake, I mean, not because I like him because I fucking like hate him. Yeah, yeah. It makes for good TV. Cause I think we have the benefit of knowing that there's a season three. So, I mean, I feel like that's a real possibility. Why not go for it? Have a reign of Wilford. Cause I mean, that's the whole point. Like we've been having Wilford in our mind for two seasons now. Like if he doesn't get the train, like that would also kind of let me down in a way. Cause it'd be like, okay, it's all good now. Like, I don't know. I, I kind of do want to see it in one part of me, like the TV part of me, but the like other part of me is like, no, I don't want Wilford to take over. <laughs> but I also really want, to get back to the science part of all of this yes. <laughs> there's so much yes. <laughs> yeah the, the I, arc part of the arc train the idea yes. of transporting people to wherever we're gonna live or at least genetic material and make people or whatever they got in store they didn't even really explore that that much but yes the, the drawer people Oh, yeah, the drawer people. I want to see what happens to them, but I also want to see what the data is. Like, I want to see how I want to see that not be all a waste. Well, we will find out the next chapter next week. This is Paul. This is Kat. And this is Inez. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.